0: dumb walls is an organization that comes down here to Guatemala working with an organization down here called Potter's House and we build houses, we built a school, a warehouse, basically doing whatever we can to help the people down here in the garbage dump community. The first impression is pretty shocking because it's one of those things where no matter how much people explain it to you, you still get here and see it for yourself and it's it's worse than you imagined or at least different than you imagined. Um, But I think the more I spend here, uh, the more I can see how we really are making an impact with the people and uh, the community and the sense of familiarity here. Uh, I came here planning to help other people make a difference in their lives and I think the coolest part about this trip is the mutuality of it where you make a difference in their lives and they make a difference in your lives because obviously building a house for someone and sharing Christ with them changes their life forever, but I think that Anyone who's been on this trip will also say that meeting the people down here has changed their life forever as well.
1: My name's Mandy Pearson. This is my eighth year here in Guatemala, my third year in Chiquimula. We're here in Chiquimula trying to start a new presence for Potter's House, uh, building a community center, an area for kids, for adults, for parents, for everyone to come together
2: um, because the community is so spread and to just build the presence of God here centrally in Chiquimula. So my name is Susie Hutton. This year when we walked in and saw what God has done in a year, it's it's really astounding. We put up a couple uh, slabs of wall last year and now we look around and the ground is level, the plants are gone, like it's just amazing. God has done an amazing work in a really short time.
3: And so uh, I am going to uh, ask our guests to come up this morning. They're going to share some of their experiences. In the meantime, check this slide out. I think it's pretty cool. This talks about what happened over the last three weeks. Uh, The Beyond the Walls teams. Beyond the Walls is our nonprofit, which we set up to sit next to Mendham Hills. It is a um, 501c3. And uh, we did it because we didn't want our church to be a wall for folks serving uh, the poor. And so we created this nonprofit. Uh, and so Beyond the Wall served, over the last three weeks, in three different locations in the st- in the country of Guatemala. We had 100 volu- 140 volunteers from 12 different states. We built 11 brand new homes. Here's some fun stuff. 236 pairs of shoes uh, and personal care kits were donated. Uh, Susie will talk about what's going on in Chiquimula, but tremendous progress and I mean, I mean our guys just crushed it on the wall out in Chiquimula and, and including Reed Finley's finger. We crushed that too, but that that's another story. Um, with <laughs> I hear the hospital in Chiquimula is good according to Reed. Um, 300 plus children in VBS and soccer clinics. Uh, 91 homes were visited and uh, we prayed with the families there. 400 plus patients were seen in medical clinics across four different cities in Guatemala. We built three hygiene combos out in the rural areas of Chiquimala. And most importantly, let us not forget that for the first time in the history of what is quite honestly a heated rivalry because they cheat, Um, Beyond the Walls, wiped the, the ground with the staff at Potter's House in our annual game of soccer for the first time ever. You should be applauding that. Now, uh, the, uh, look, beyond the, uh, Potter's House would like me to tell you that Mandy, many of you know Mandy, she's one of the people that worked there. Her son, Seth, Okay, fine, Seth played on our team and he scored three goals. But those are details that can be easily overlooked when it comes to something as important as that victory. So uh, these are all of the sponsors. If you remember, we, we, um, we have this golf outing every year and uh, some of the companies that help us, we've listed here, uh, encourage you to be thinking about getting involved with our golf outing next year to help us raise the, the kind of money that we do. So these are the sponsors that have helped us. And what I want to do is introduce you to these three guests this morning. Here we have McKenna, Susie, and Javier, and I want them to share um, just one or two things from their experience last week. So I'm going to start with McKenna. It was your first time. Tell me about it. First
1: time before he had asked me like what my expectations were, and really I didn't have a whole lot of expectations because I didn't think I'd actually go. Um, it's, one of, it's my busiest season. I'm a wedding photographer, um, and I was a little bit behind in like what I normally book for this time of year. So I think going into it, I was like, I don't think I have time for this. Um, there's so many other things going on and so many reasons why not to. And then um, I just think I had said it to so many people that like, then I was kind of, you know, I had to go. <laughs> and so um, I ended up going, And booked two weddings while I was in Guatemala which was um, such a blessing because I shouldn't have booked them like I didn't have a that great of connection never met the couple either one and barely had internet because all of the high schoolers were stealing it Uh, (laughs) but it was just it just proves that like I was meant to be there and that um, you know God is gonna reward you tenfold right and so that was the crazy, that was pretty a crazy experience. But other than that, the relationships with, um, we, had, we were with a Virginia team, I was week three, so I just got back yesterday morning. And I mean, I just don't even know where to start. Um, the, the family, so I worked on the houses, but I, I brought my camera and so I asked Eric, and Marietta, but Eric was like, I was like, oh, you know, I brought my camera, like I'd love to take some pictures. He's like, well, do you plan on working or are you just taking pictures? And I was like, no, no, I plan to work. And uh, luckily, like they were so gracious and they let me go um, to different houses. So I kind of got an uh, inside scoop. I got to see like all the different homes. I got to see all the different families and how all of our workers uh, interacted with them. And I got to capture all of it, uh, which was like the greatest gift for me. Um, so while we were giving our time and our energy and our love to these people, I felt like I was getting it, um, way more than they were. Uh, they all let me t- take, take photos of them, both like our team, um, which sometimes they were a little attitudey, but it was okay. And then, but all of the Guatemalans too. And our family, I had a huge connection with, they have three kids, a 10 year old, a When you five- say
3: our family, you mean the family you were building a house for. Yes, my family. Oh, excuse me. I
1: <laughs> yeah, the family that we were building a house for, um, husband and wife, and then they have three children, and um, they worked just as hard as we did. So the kids were there painting with me, spackling with me, and it was—it's um, amazing how well you can communicate just through um, hard work and smiles, and um, you really don't need the translator. But we mm. had one.
3: You told me there. Yeah, I said, so what, where was the emotional part for you? And you, you first you said, what wasn't emotional? but then you said one day was really hard, which, share that.
1: So probably the hardest part is leaving. Um, And the little girl, 10, her name's um, Christelle, she and I had a connection. We were... um, the last day you you kind of like finish up the painting and I'm up on the ladder and she's below and she's painting and she's doing such a great job. And I got to ask her, I was like, you know, do you believe in God? And I had a translator. So uh, Beatrice was like translating for me and she was like, see. And I said, "Um, do you know why we're here? She's like, no. And I was like, well, we're here because God sent us here because um, God... We, are, we uh, you know, we have God in our heart, we want to make sure that you do too, so we want to help you with this. Do you have God in your heart? And she said, yes. And I was like, will you open up your home and share that with everyone else? And she said, yes. So we talked about that and I said, you know, make sure that Melvin and, and um, Santiago also share it. And they said, yeah, like Santiago's too. So, <laughs> um, but they understood. And so at the end, um, you know, I'd seen them every day for five days and um played games with them and took their photos and they played on my camera, like all these things. And at the end, um, Crystal was giving me like a big hug and then she'd pull back and look at me and then she started crying and then I lost it too and she wouldn't let go. Um, and that was probably the hardest part because even Elsa, the mother said, you know, I, wanna, I don't care about the house. Like I want to start over from the beginning and, um, and not be so shy just so that I can spend time and get to know you more. Um, to see what a beautiful job you guys have done and your hearts have been so open to us. So mm. it, was, it was a beautiful experience.
3: Javier, you told me that uh, something is still weighing on your heart this morning. Why don't you share that story?
4: Good morning, yeah. Um, I went to Chiquimula and worked over there in the compost I came back to Friday, um, Thursday morning, to the garbage dump on Guatemala City. And very interesting, very hard, but um, Friday morning we went to the walk prayer and the first family that we visit, uh, they have it was the mother and the kid, seven-year-old Alejandro. And at that moment, uh, we start sharing some what happened to them. And I see that Alejandro lay down on the bed, and he's sick. We ask the mother why uh, he got dengue. And that part, I think, that she started almost crying, says to us. Um, Two days ago, they find out that he has danger. And he will not get better. In 12 days, he will die. And there's nothing we can do about it. Just wait and pray. And that part, that moment, I say, I see that kid there. And I ask you, you sure, to pray for him. Because we came back here. And we continue. We're alive. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's coming to Alejandro today. I'm praying to the Lord that He's well. I believe in the Lord that He's well and He is healed. But having a seven year old child sick and a young mother, it's very hard mm. for me to continue my normal life, come back after thinking about it, Alejandro. And that's one of the hardest parts that I know that that I want to come back there. I wanna see her again, I wanna see, I wanna help more people. That way, because it's heartbreaking.
3: The partner we have down there is uh, this organization called Potter's House. And they have a sign on their wall. It's a Bible verse out of the Old Testament that says, Come to the house of the potter, and there I will give you my message. And so uh, every year, I go down with that mindset. And I'm going to share with you all what I felt like the Lord was teaching me this year. What was the message you heard from God this year?
4: Uh, well, this was your first year, too. That was my first time I heard the message from God. It was, love one to the other one how I love you. And that's it. I feel like I have continued loving my brother and sister, like if God loves me, and that's my message from God to me, continue love one to the other one.
3: How about you, McKenna? What do you feel like you heard from the Lord down there?
4: I kind of have this
1: quote that um, I had in high school, but I don't think I, like, follow through. And you guys have been going to Guatemala. I mean, this church has been going for years and years. Um, Eric still has the same shoes from when he first went, so it's like 16 <laughs> years old, okay? And... Um, and it's just that uh, a heart that touches the lives of others goes on forever and ever.
3: Mm. I love that. Sue is here. And so these are a couple of first-timers. And in the center, we have placed, this is the wrong way to say it, but our grizzled veteran, right? So
2: It's the Chiquimula's son. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so Su- Susie's family has been involved with Beyond the Walls and, and uh, making these trips for 12 years. This was your ninth trip. And three years ago, you made the switch from Guatemala City to uh, a, a hot, arid, smaller junkyard uh, in uh, a city called Chiquimula. And you did it once. And my fear, because we're trying to spread our ministry around now to these other poor areas, was we're going to send people there and they're not going to want to go back. But you, you went and you said, I'm going I'm to keep going back. This was your third summer. Why? What's captured your heart
2: there? It's hard to put in a couple words in a couple minutes, but when we first went, we were, you know, we were approached with the idea to go, and I don't know, it kind of was like new, exciting, ooh, let's see a different part of the country. Maybe it was even a little selfish in that respect. But we got there, and it's hard to just say to you it's because of the need, because everywhere you look, there's need, whether it's in Guatemala or whether it's in our own backyard or whatever, there's need, we all know that. But the need there was so different from what we saw in the garbage dump communities. And the biggest, if I could put my finger on one thing, it wouldn't be the financial poverty, or the lack of clean water, or the lack of employment, or education, or any of those things which are huge problems there. Most children don't go to school, finish sixth grade, anything like that. But the biggest need that I feel like is there and I think Potter's House has instilled this in us, working with them all these years, is the lack of community. It's so spread out there. Um, It's very rural. And people walk sometimes four miles each way to scavenge in the dump there, carrying their daily collection home with them. If children do go to school, they have to walk really far. There's just nothing to tie these people together, um, one with another or one with the Lord. and so Potter's House Vision, and ours at Beyond the Walls partnering with them, is to build a central community center where there can be community there. where We served over 125 treasure children at the soccer camp this summer. I can't imagine how far away they walked to get there. We even had a couple arrive on horseback. Huh. <laughs> um, Because there's nothing, those those children had never played in an organized game with a uniform and a referee. It's just not there. So to provide for that community a centralized place where they can come together and know that they're not alone and they're not forgotten by us, but more importantly by their Heavenly Father who loves them and cherishes them, I Mm. can't not do it.
3: Yeah, the work at Chickie is incredibly important. I got to see a little rural poverty. We were working on new projects, and I got taken out into a, a schoolhouse that was like something out of this, I don't know, another another century. There was kids sitting under a tin roof, no-walled classroom. They had Somehow they had these desks that were clearly from, probably from the States and shipped over, but they were old, beat-up desks. They were all painted green, completely green. And there was... A dirt floor and chickens running through the classroom, and these two gigantic pigs, like literally next to the classroom. And I'm not exaggerating, the pigs were as big as I was. Um, and so you're just sitting there, you're like, you can't fathom this is their lot, right? Like how far they walked to sit in that dirt floored classroom to learn. They were learning multiplication that day. So we're going to end. I'm going to ask Javier because. Um, Javier pledged that he would pray for this young man that is battling for his life with dengue fever. And uh, uh, many of us don't know Spanish. I think God might. And so uh, I'm going to ask for you to pray, um, knowing that God knows Spanish and knowing that it's this little boy's native tongue. Would you lead us in prayer for him, Javier?
4: in Spanish. In Spanish. Please bow our heads and let's pray for Alejandro and his family and everybody in Guatemala. Amado Padre, venimos delante de ti papito lindo, Arte gracias una vez más por este día Señor Pero clamamos a ti Señor por la vida de Alejandro, por su salud, por su familia Señor Que tú lo vas a usar grandemente Señor, que tú vas a hacer un milagro en ese lugar en Guatemala Señor Y todos esos niños que están alrededor de ellos Señor, te pido en tu santo nombre que tú limpies ese lugar de cualquier tipo de enfermedades De esas plagas Señor, que tú los sanes, que tú los levantes Él, Jesús. Amén.
3: And the church, of him said? Amen. 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 Would you thank these guys for coming up here and sharing their stories with us? As many of you know, uh, I did not grow up a church kid. Uh, I went to church on Christmas and Easter like a lot of folks, and so I, I never went to the VBC camps and all the rest of the stuff that goes on. But uh, I, I raised my kids going to church and uh, going to some of these VBC camps in the summer. And uh, you know what VBC camps, it's, boy, it is VBC season, right? Like, if you're a Christian and you need daycare, man, it is free all summer at a church near you, right? Right. Um, but, uh, one of the things that has staying power for our kids, and for me, um, are some of these horribly cheesy children's songs that we teach the kids over these years. Um, you, you know some of them. Okay, some of them are famous, right? This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Uh, anybody know that one? Raise your hand if you know This Little Light. All right. How about this? this one? Zacchaeus was a wee wee little man. A wee little man was he. Anybody know what comes next? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. I don't know why we thought it was important to make sure our children understood the height, the stature of Zacchaeus, but uh, every little kid knows that he was a wee little man, which is somewhat emasculating for poor Zacchaeus all these millennia later. Um, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's a strange song. How about this one? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Which seems slightly militaristic now, looking back at it, right? <laughs> Especially as we gather in our, like, green fatigues today. <laughs> Last night, I was lying in bed, and uh, one of these songs that my kids used to learn when they were, when they were little came rushing back to me. I'm sure it's because I was studying this topic, and it's related to this topic. Um, but it's kind of a scary song. It's got a haunting chorus. Anybody remember, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember this? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He is looking down with love. Which seems kind of weird because it sounds like you're trying to scare me. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. I have no idea what that song's about. Right? Until I started working on this talk. We're in a uh, series this summer at Mendham called They Say, I Say. What we're doing is really methodically, kind of one by one, looking at what Jesus says about practical everyday issues in life versus what they say. Um, If your mom was like, Mom, when I was a kid, I would always bring something up and go, Well, you know, Mom, they say. My mom would always stop and go, Who's they? And so Jesus is addressing some of the kind of same pop culture stuff. For for Jesus, he's actually addressing what's going on in the religious culture around him. Now to do this, we've been looking mostly at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew, who is a first century early follower of Jesus, he was writing and recording this teaching down. And what he he noticed was Jesus would start many of these stories saying, You have heard it said, but I'm telling you. And so this morning, I want to look at one of these they say, I say's um, that I think framed my experience in Guatemala. Jump in with me. Matthew, he records in chapter 6 of his book. Here's what he heard Jesus say. Jesus says, "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where molds and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal.'" This is in the line of the they say, I say teachings, and it makes perfect sense, because if there has ever been a they say, in a sense Jesus imputes they say, if there's ever been a they say, this is it. They say, the world says, whatever you do, make sure to store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now... We live in the ultimate store up for treasures on this earth culture, and I don't have to preach on this topic too long because we know it, we feel it, we breathe in the toxicity of it, uh, we teach it to our kids. We have cool sayings related to what Jesus is teaching here. Have you heard of YOLO? What's YOLO mean? Say it like you say it like you only live once, you only live once. Does anybody know what FOMO means? Fear of missing out. I only live one. See, so as I thought about this, right? I have FOMO because I YOLO. Get it? Right? I, I have to invest here, build my life here, compile my treasure here, because this is what counts. And as I thought about it, what counts is only the things or only the things that I can count. My stuff, Uh, the the acquisition of stuff, I mean, just let's be honest, for most of us, the acquisition of stuff is our goal. We hire people, professionals to help us figure out how much we'll acquire by certain dates in life. I, I, I want to store up my treasures here. I was talking to my son, Johnny. He works in the entertainment industry, and he was talking about a young guy, and I, I said, well, has the guy been successful? And he goes, well, he goes, I'm not sure, but he wears a Rolex. And I said, well, you know, that's a pretty expensive watch. And he said, yeah, he goes, but anybody in their 20s in this industry, everybody has a Rolex. And so Jesus continues. But, implicit, I say... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where maws and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, this is interesting for me because it's, it's, in my mind, it's the only place in the Scriptures where Jesus kind of instructs us to do something out of a selfish motive, to do something with no, no altruistic um, side to it. Jesus is saying, look, if you really understand the situation you're in, And I mean, gosh, if you were just... You don't have to be all that spiritual. If you're just smart at all. In fact, you don't even have to be kind or loving or giving or compassionate. If you have any inkling of the situation you're in, you wouldn't store up treasure here on earth. Where, you know, I mean, come on now. You know that all this stuff you're piling up, you know where it's going someday. It's going in the garbage. You know, some of you have done this. You have pulled the dumpster in your parents' house and loaded it up with their stuff. You know where it's going. Well, not my Rolex. That will be a, fairly heir- a family heirloom for generations. Come on, man, that thing's going to be on eBay before you're even cold. You're kidding yourself with that, right? <laughs> Jesus says, gosh, you don't even have to have good motives to understand this truth your treasure, worry about your reward in heaven, where you're going to spend eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Nothing can ever take it away from you. Nobody will ever put it in a dumpster or list it on eBay. Worry about your treasure there. Build your treasure there. This just, I mean, it's an easy teaching. I can picture Jesus going, this isn't even that hard. If you believe in me, if you believe that I am who I said I am, the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, if if you understand what I'm teaching you, that my sacrificial death on your behalf has made you right before God. If you believe in my resurrection, that I was dead, 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 and now I am alive, alive, alive. If you believe that that's not just some fairy tale, but the most documented event of the first century with hundreds of eyewitnesses and multitudes of changed lives. If you understand, I think Jesus would say, if you understand what I'm telling you, which is you, like me, will be resurrected and live forever, if you believe all that, why would you store up treasure here? It doesn't even make any sense. And then he says something that's pretty interesting. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this is a little they say, I say in its own right. Because Jesus does not say, what's popular in our culture today, just follow your heart. If you want to be happy, just follow your heart. Jesus says you can almost hear the implied they say, follow your heart. And, and, and that's where your treasure will be. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is heading. That's where it's going. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. What happens is you have treasure and your heart is there. That's where your heart's going to be. Put another way, ladies, if you want to know where that sweet young man's heart is, look for his treasure. If you want to make it really personal, if you want to know where your pastor's heart is, ask to see my checkbook. Because your heart Follow as your treasure. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, John, he's so spiritual. I mean, he's just like a a titan of a Christian. He's a giant, really. Joan is so lucky. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what everybody's thinking? Yeah. Uh Uh But the deal is, look, here's the deal, right? I can preach okay. I could, Maybe I could move you to tears on a Sunday. But look, God gave me a talent. Uh, my, my sister-in-law says I have the gift of gab. And uh, you all have allowed me a platform to have. That doesn't tell you anything about my heart. N- literally, it tells you nothing about my heart. If you want to know about my heart... Look at my checkbook. Because where my treasure is, my heart will follow. And I don't really want you to look at my checkbook that much. Now watch this. Skip down a couple of lines with this uh, story. And and Jesus reframes the teaching. He does it this way. He goes, Guys, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. In fact, what he does is he doesn't just reframe the prior argument. He reframes an entire battle that you and I are kind of aware of, but I think he says, you don't really understand your practical enemy. You and I so often think the major battle in our everyday lives is a spiritual battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And there's truth there. Our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities. You guys know some of that stuff. But, but, but realistically, most of the time, we, you know, we're kind of like the cartoon, right? We know that there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on another. And we kind of feel like the battle that we're engaged in is between good and evil, between God and the devil. But Jesus changes the adversary up on us now. He says your enemy, at least in practical terms in this world, because of what they say and the culture we're in, he goes, look, there are two masters trying to get your attention, trying to win your heart. They're not God and the devil. They're God and your stuff. And you can't love them both. But gosh, I would love to. You see, this is pretty easy for me to see in my own life. For example, I have no problem praying against the devil and Satan and evil... In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. You know the drill. I'm good at that kind of stuff. I love those kind of prayers. What I'm not good at is considering my stuff a danger. I have yet to pray, Lord, the market returns are too great this year. I command the Dow in the name of Jesus to stop increasing my 401 k I I don't want to pray that. You know this battle. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church, we've talked about the concept of percentage giving and making the things of God first in your life with your time and your heart and your mind and your money. But you know the battle. When I was a kid, I I was first starting to come to Christ and was trying to understand how to prioritize giving in my life and finances. And people talked about this concept of, of, you know, kind of a number you should think about as the tithe. You should think about giving 10% to the work of God. And I remember I started in 1989 at First Fidelity Bank. And I can tell you my salary, I'm not ashamed to tell you, my salary in 1989, $24,000 even. I remember thinking to myself, okay, let's see. I have... uh, no dependence, no mortgage, no rent, I have uh, no car, so uh, I need to give 2400 to God? That's not too bad, I can deal with that. But something happened along the way. I got a promotion, my income went up. And I got another promotion, and my income went up again. And I kept writing that 10% check along the way, and at one point I thought to myself, Lord, don't you believe this is getting a bit excessive at this point? <laughs> I mean, really, 2,400, that already puts me in like the top couple of percent of givers around, right? Like this 10% thing, I mean, you gotta be kidding me now. Because there's a battle going on in my mind, right? And and, and where my treasure is, that's where my heart's gonna be. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, why don't you build your treasure in the kingdom of God? Because your heart will follow over there. That's where your heart, you want your heart to be. Now, what does any of this have to do with Guatemala? Good question. Let me explain. I was at VBC one day. Our teams were leading and teaching and doing a wonderful job with these kids. And in came this little girl. She was the cutest thing. She had a vibrancy about her and this this look. I don't know. She's just one of these little kids that captures your heart when when she comes in. And uh, I just loved her. I couldn't stop looking at her. And uh, so let me show you a picture. Um, This is her. And she was sitting here. She doesn't come across nearly as cute now as she did then. Um, Anybody notice anything about her? her shoes. I didn't notice it at first, but um, Courtney came up and she, she whispered in my ear, Dad, look at her shoes. I mean, those clearly weren't her shoes, but the more I watched her, I came to the realization that at the same time, they really clearly were her shoes. Those were her shoes. That's what her mother had to send her to vacation Bible camp in. I just kept hearing her title, and I didn't know her name. She was, to me, the little girl in the two big shoes. As I stood in the room that day, and the the flies were kind of circling my head, the the fleas were biting my ankles, I, I just heard the voice, this voice in my heart saying, John, look at her shoes. Open your eyes. Do you have eyes to see her shoes? Do you have eyes to see... What, where this is going for this little girl, it's not just her shoes. I mean, if these are her Sunday best shoes, what is this likely to mean for school for her in a couple of years? Do you think there's a uniform coming? Do you think there's books and a backpack and a computer and an IP address and a lunchbox or a lunch? Do you think there is a college and a career ahead? And I just couldn't take my eyes off this beautiful and bubbly little girl and her shoes and just thinking what might be coming for her. Right in between these two teachings that Jesus gives us about our treasure, Jesus says something that seems so unrelated to the topic that theologians have struggled with it over the years. But it can't be unrelated because it's stuck in between, so somehow there's a relationship, but it's confusing. Matthew probably didn't understand it, but he wrote it down right in the middle of the two teachings. So here's what he said. He goes, the eye, this is Jesus, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness and now walk with me through this Jesus says don't store up your treasures on earth because where your treasure is that's where your heart's gonna go and then he says you can't serve God and your stuff but then right in between he says something about our eyes what is the relationship between our eyes our stuff and our heart because whatever it is it has to be awful serious Luke was a first century physician. He set out to record very methodically a researched accounting of Jesus' teaching. And Luke records Jesus saying something very similar. Here's how he heard it. Jesus said, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when the lamp shines its light on you. Which is just a wonderfully beautiful Bible teaching that nobody has any idea what it's talking about. What are you talking about, Jesus? I have no idea what you're talking about. Except there's a warning in there. See to it. So I've been working on it this week because um, I've been trying to figure this out too. And I came across a pretty significant clue. I want to share it with you. Matthew, this same Matthew recorded Jesus telling a parable about workers in a vineyard. Here's how Jesus told the story. He said there was a landowner. He went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And they agreed when he hired him upon one denarius as the wage for that full day's work. About 9 in the morning, the landowner goes back to the market and he sees some workers standing around and he says, why aren't you guys working? And they go, well, no one hired us. So the landowner goes, well, you can come work in my vineyard too. So they they come back and they begin work. Well, the landowner does this at noon, brings more workers back. He he does it at 3, he brings more workers back. And then at 5 o'clock at night, he goes back into the marketplace and still brings back more workers. And so now the evening comes, and the landowner tells his foreman to pay the workers, but then he gives them a detail. He says, Pay them, but I want you to start at the front of the line with those who came in last. And so to those who came at five, they lined up first. The foreman gave them, wait for it, one denarius. And then he gave the same one denarius to those who started at three, noon, and nine. And because they were the last to get paid, the guys who started at dawn saw all of this going down, to which you can imagine their reaction is not unlike that of your four-year-old. This is so unfair. In fact, here's what what they said to the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You made them equal to us, and we've borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And, And here's the landowner's response. Check this out. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was higher last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Which is interesting, but gets even more so... And some of your Bibles translate this correctly, but because this teaching is confusing, it got translated, are you envious because I'm generous? But if you go back to the original Greek, which none of us would know what what, what that is except for me putting in the time to figure it out this week, here's what the conclusion of the story was in the original Greek. Or, is your eye evil because I'm good? Is your eye evil because I'm good? Because what was was evil about their eye? It was because they weren't looking at the blessings that had been bestowed by a generous master to the undeserving. Their eye was evil because it was solely focused on me. My treasure, my stuff, my well-being, my fair share, getting what I have worked for, getting what I deserve. Their eyes were focused squarely on themselves. Evil eyes hoard treasure at the expense of others because their eyes only see themselves and not God. Now with that in mind, go back to Jesus' teaching. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here, but treasures in the kingdom of come because where your heart is, that's where, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. Your heart follows your treasure, but guess what it also follows? Job knew it and he prayed this way. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes. What you see, what you look at, what you spend your time thinking of and dreaming of, what you place your hope over and over, what you put before your eyes, it becomes your treasure. And where your eyes go, your treasure is. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart can be found. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The writer of the book of Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom. He wrote it this way. Haughty eyes, self-centered, self-important, egotistical eyes, and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Now here's what I want you to understand. Think through this with me. Tomorrow morning, it'll be 9 a.m. in New York City. And in cities all around the world, really. The smartest people in the world will gather in boardrooms and they will spend the best part of their days with a singular goal in mind. To get your eyes to look at their stuff. They'll scheme and devise ways. They'll spend untold amount of money to get before your eyes their product. They'll pay exorbitant slotting fees to make sure that their brand is at eye level and shop Right. And incredible amounts of money will flow to ensure that their commercial is in prime time hours. Because they know something Jesus knows. Your treasure follows your eyes. But here's what you and I have to remember. This is why Jesus says, be very careful about this. Because your heart follows your treasure. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. See, I think we have to admit, we have to be honest. I do, at some level. We've become blind guides. People of poor vision, with eyes focused just like the workers in the field. You know this, we live in the most wealthy society in the history of the world, especially just in the last 10 years. Right now, 72% of the wealth in the world is held by 5% of the world's population, which is essentially us. Many of us in this room, if not most of us in this room, are professionals, and professionals, that's us, we are in the top 20% of that 5%. Never has a group of people as wealthy as we are ever existed, and yet at the same time been so blinded to our own riches. And we're blind not to just our own riches, but to the poverty of the world around us, where globally 11% of the world is living on less than $2 a day, and more than half of it lives on 6 But my eyes are not there. My eyes are squarely focused on a two-bedroom townhouse in Boca del Vista, phase two. A souped-up golf cart will take me to an early bird dinner where I will enjoy a rare but expensive Cabernet with my filet. Because I worked hard for it. And I did. But that's where my eyes are. That's where my treasure is. And my heart's halfway there. To which Jesus said, you got to be really careful. In fact, he goes, watch out. Because this, this issue with where you place your eyes is different than other sin issues. Uh, for example, Jesus never had to say, watch out for adultery. Be on the lookout for adultery. See, so you know if you're committing adultery, it's not like you're going to look over one morning and go, oh, wait, that wasn't my wife. What happened here? <laughs> right? He doesn't need you to warn you about that. But he says, watch out about your eyes. Because where your eyes go, your treasure is. And where your treasure is, your heart follows. Let me give you one more story he told. Uh, it's, again, it's a story about eyes and reward and a kingdom to come. It comes in a teaching that very few of you have crocheted or put on a pillow in your home. I guarantee it. I've never heard one person say, this is my favorite Bible story. I'm pretty sure you won't see any VBCs focusing on it. It's called The Story of the Sheep and the Goats. It's one of my least favorite. Again, Matthew, same guy records it. Here's what Jesus said. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself, Himself and him coming back. And all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. This is the treasure that they built up in that kingdom, right? Come, enjoy it forever and ever and ever. Come enjoy the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And these people respond the way that you and I might There's some confusion. Jesus, we don't understand. The righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry? What what is it that you see things with your eyes? Uh, Jesus, when did we see you hungry and and, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. And the goats, those with no reward, those to whom Jesus will say, depart from me, they asked a similar question. They'll answer, Lord, when did we see You hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and didn't help you. And it replied, truly, I'm telling you, whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, the church used to get this. The idea that the least of these were to be treasured, that somehow the Jesus they followed was present in the poor and the suffering. Christian communities were known for this. Outsiders used to know and take notice. There's a story that in the late fourth century, there was an opponent of the early Christian faith, Emperor Emperor Julian the Apostate, He chastised his own pagan priests for not keeping up with this early church. Here's what his quote was from the 4th century. He said, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, these impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. My fear is sometimes people now see that the other way around. We used to get this. We used to have eyes to see. The same Jesus who dies on the cross and is resurrected and coming again is spiritually alive and present in personal ways in our world right now. Maybe nowhere else as profoundly as he is in the inner city ghettos and the poverty of those that are living all around us, but we don't have eyes to see. There's an ancient story of St. Francis of Assisi. He was on his way to to do battle for his city. He's dressed in his armor. He was riding upon his horse down the road. And suddenly there was in his way standing a leper dressed in rags. Francis records that he was terrified of leprosy. And that this particular leper, a good part of his face, had been eaten away by the dreaded disease. And so Francis begged the leper to step aside, but the man stood there silently. And on impulse, Francis got off of his horse and he went up to the leper and did what you and I might do. He gave him some money and still the leper didn't move. So Francis then took off his cape and wrapped it around the man and still the leper didn't move. Finally, Francis took the man's head in his hand and kissed him on his rotten lips. And when he got back up on the horse and looked down to say goodbye to the leper, the road was simply empty. The leper was nowhere to be found. And Francis recorded that he knew in the leper he had encountered Jesus. But you have to have eyes to see. Mother Teresa, who the world noticed, put it this way, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This is the one who has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. In poverty, I find Jesus in his most distressing disguise. I'm going to close with one of my most haunting um, stories. I I shared it one time with you many years ago. It's a story by Tony Campolo when he realized this same issue. He was on a landing strip outside the border of the Dominican Republic in Haiti. A small airplane was supposed to pick him up and fly him back home. He wrote, uh, and as I do, Ben, come on up. He wrote, As I stood there searching the sky for the airplane, a woman came toward me holding her child in her arms. The baby was emaciated. His arms and legs hung from his little body as though they were stick. Sticks. His stomach was swollen four or five times its normal size, not because he had had too much to eat, but because he had nothing to eat at all, and his digestive fluids had eaten up his insides, and the swelling was the inevitable result. The woman held up her child with his rust-colored hair and shrunken face, and she began to plead with me. Take my baby. Take my baby, please, mister. Take my baby. If you don't take my baby, my baby's going to die. Please take my baby. Please take my baby. I tried to tell her there was nothing I I could do to help her. I tried to explain that I couldn't take her baby. I I tried to look away, but no matter which direction I, I turned, she was in my face. She was pleading with me to take her child. Make my baby your baby, she kept saying. Feed my baby. Take my baby to a hospital. Save my baby. Please. Take my baby. Please. Please take my baby. Well, I was relieved when the little Piper Cub plane came into sight, and the minute it touched down at the end of the grass landing strip, I I ran across the field to meet it. But the woman came running after me, screaming, Take my baby! Take my baby! Take my baby! I climbed into the plane as fast as I could and I closed the door. I told the pilot to rev up the engine and to get us out of there. And he got the engine up to speed, but it wasn't soon enough. The woman was running alongside the plane. She was holding her dying child in one arm and banging on the door with the other. But the airplane pulled away from her and went slowly down the landing strip and then into the air. I was halfway back home when it hit me. And I realized whom I had left behind on the grass landing strip. It was Jesus. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Can you see him?